this morning, we're going to continue on in our series on the life of a man named David that we've been exploring over the past number of weeks. And if you don't know much about David, David is an amazing Old Testament Bible character. And uh, God gave him this amazing title, a title that God gave to no one else. And it's this. God said, David is a man after my own heart. Amazing title given to him by God himself. No one else got that title. And what we're doing in this series is trying to figure out how did David develop a heart like that? How did David develop a heart where God said, that's a man who has a heart like mine. His heart beats in sync with my heart. He cares about the things that I care about. And so we've been trying to learn that in this series and how we can do that as well in our own lives. Well, I think we've learned a little bit. If you've joined us throughout this series so far, we've watched David make some great choices in developing a heart that beats like God's. We first saw David come out as this young shepherd kid who he showed up on this battlefield between the Philistines and the Israelites, and the, the Israelites were afraid of the Philistine giant Goliath. And David showed up and said, I'll fight him. I'll defeat him. David had the, the right perspective. His eyes were on God and God's abilities, not on David and David's abilities. So he went into battle and he defeated Goliath. And then we watched as he went from a, a nobody to a somebody. At that moment, everybody in Israel knew who David was and the king became very jealous of him and the king wanted to kill him. So King Saul spent the rest of his life trying to kill David and David faithfully served God for about 22 years, had several chances to retaliate against the king and he didn't take it. He didn't take it. And he faithfully served God and waited for God to put him in that place as the second king over Israel. He didn't force his way in. He didn't force it to happen. He just waited for it to happen in God's time frame. And then last week, we saw that David, once he became king, he looked around and said, hey, there's some problems in this kingdom. We've got to fix some things. And primarily, we've got to fix that God's not the center of this kingdom anymore, that Saul had let that drift. And so David went and got what was called the Ark of God and moved the Ark back to Jerusalem in the tabernacle so that it could be in the center of the nation and the nation of Israel could worship God the way that God wanted them to. David faithfully and uh, he served God faithfully. And he was devoted to doing the right thing that God wanted him to do. And we've just seen example after example of David doing the right thing and developing a heart after God's. But today's story is going to be different. Uh, as we look at today's story, it's not going to seem like we're studying the life of David anymore. It's going to seem like we're studying someone who doesn't even know about God, someone who doesn't even care about God. You see, David is about to sin in such a big way that he and all of Israel is going to suffer greatly because of it. This sin that David commits is probably the second most famous thing known about him, and it's one of his greatest failures. So we're going to start today in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, and our story begins this way. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Now, obviously, that's, those aren't the actions of a man that has a heart like God's. And so I want us to explore for a few moments, how did David get to this spot? How did David go from being so devoted to God and yet to this example in this story where David's heart is so far from God in this moment? Well, the first thing that I want us to look at is that David wasn't where he should have been. So verse one tells us that in the springtime, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go off to war, David stayed home. So David should have been off at battle in that moment, in that time of year is where he, where he should have been, but he decided this time to stay home, and we're not exactly sure why. Maybe David said, you know what, I, like, I just need a break. You know, I've fought a lot of, of fights. I just need a break this time. Or, you know what, I deserve a break. After all the battles that I fought, after all the things that I've done for God, and after leading this nation in the right direction, On so many occasions, I just need a break. That's one of the things that got David in trouble. He wasn't where he needed to be. He wasn't doing what he needed to be doing. And that's the same thing that gets us in trouble. You know, those moments where we say to ourselves, you know what, I just need a break. Or I deserve a break. I've done the right things so many times. Like, I deserve to take it easy this time. I deserve to sit this one out. Let someone else go do the right thing in this moment. I'm just going to relax a little bit. When we have that perspective, often we drop our guard. We relax our convictions. We take our eyes off of God and his truth and what he wants for us. And our eyes start ever so slightly drifting to us, our desires, our wants, our needs. And we start talking about the stuff that we feel like we need more than what God needs. And sometimes our greatest moments of vulnerability are not our moments of great struggle and challenge. Those moments often drive us to God like nothing else can. But sometimes Our moments of greatest vulnerability towards sin or towards walking away from God are the moments of life when things are going very well for us, kind of like David. When we look around our lives and we say, you know what, I'm doing well at work, I'm doing well at home, I'm doing well at school. I mean, all just seems to be going well for me. Those are the moments that we have to be careful. If we aren't careful, we'll start walking down a very slippery path towards sin, which leads to to more sin. So it may be in a moment where we say, you know what, I, I can handle a drink or I can handle another drink. I know I shouldn't have this, this other drink, but maybe I can handle that. Or we say, you know what, I, I think I can engage that secret sin. I mean, nobody else knows about it. It's just, just me and, and, of course, God. But, you know, after all that I've been through, I, I deserve this, this moment of pleasure, Or maybe we get a little too well acquainted 
with somebody else at work, somebody that's not our spouse, somebody that we shouldn't be in a relationship, and we think, you know what, like, I'm not doing anything wrong yet. So those moments where all seems to be going well and we kind of get a little cocky and we start thinking, you know what, I, I can do this. Everything's going well in my life. That's why God gives us a very clear warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says this, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Again, those moments when we look around and we go, I'm strong, I'm good, things are well. Those are the moments that we can fall into temptation, fall into a sin that we weren't planning, that we just didn't have on our radar. We didn't know that it was coming, but those are the moments that we can find ourselves there. This verse goes on in verse 13, and it says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. We'll just hit the pause button for a minute there. All right, so when we are battling temptation, often we convince ourselves that we're the only ones that know what it's like to be in this moment of battling this specific issue. But that's not true. That's not true. Whatever your temptation is, other people have it. Whatever my temptations are, other people deal with those temptations. You're not alone in your temptation. So we've got to remind ourselves of that because sometimes we think, oh, this pressure is so great. If other people understood how great this pressure was, they would know why I'm giving into it. But that's not reality. Other people know how difficult that temptation is because other people battle the same thing. That verse continues and says, and God is faithful He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And sometimes when we are battling our temptation, we think it is so strong and we are so weak. Or, hey, we got cornered. Like, we got back into a corner. There was no way out. We just had to give in to that temptation. But that's not true. God will always provide a way out. God will always provide a way out of any temptation that we are facing in that moment. Now, we may not recognize it as a way out at first. If we're not trained to look for those ways out, we may not see it when God brings it along. Or when we start looking for those things, we may see it and we may choose not to take it. We may go, yeah, I don't really want to take that. I I would rather stay here with my temptation then take the way out that God provides. But God is faithful, and God will always provide us a way out of temptation. We just have to look for it, and we have to take it when it comes. Now, for David, he, even though he had put himself in this place of great temptation, God gave him several ways out. Uh, we look back at 2 Samuel 11, verse number three. After David noticed this beautiful woman, he sent a messenger, he sent a, a servant, said, hey, go find out who she is. The servant came back and said, she is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, the servant's response is very interesting because in that day, it was very customary to introduce someone by who their father was. So what the servant should have said, and according to the custom, was that is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and left it at that. But the servant comes back to David and says, oh, and oh yeah, she's married. 
She's married not only to just anybody, she's married to Uriah, which is one of your faithful servants. So David, like, what are you thinking? She's a married woman. And not only is she married, she's married to one of your faithful servants. So you've got this faithful servant out there, and that's, her, that's his wife that you're looking at. Now, David's servant knew what David was thinking. David's servant knew that he wasn't just curious about, you know, what was the bath salts that she was using, you know? <laughs> David's servant knew that, that uh, King David didn't want to just say, hey, like, I can see you while you're taking a bath. Make sure you put up a curtain next time. He knew David's intentions. And he tried ever so subtly to talk David out of what he was thinking. And David had already made up his mind. He didn't listen. And so he ignored one of the ways out that God had provided him. Now, on a personal level, do you have anybody in your life like that, like David's servant? Do you have anybody that, that does their best to speak truth to you? We all need people like that. We all desperately need people who, who will speak truth to us. They don't, they're not impressed by us. But they're willing to say, you know what, hey, like that, that person you're looking at, that person you're thinking about, like they're married or they're off limits or that thing that you're thinking about doing, like you shouldn't do that. That's gonna hurt your relationship with God. Now, come on, like what are you thinking we all desperately need people like that in our lives. And more importantly, we need to listen to them. We need to do what, what they're, they're saying in that moment. We need to have open ears and open hearts and say, you know what, I gotta be honest here because there are moments I'm led into temptation. I need other people that'll speak truth to me here. I need people that, that aren't impressed by me, but that'll look me in the eye and say like, hey, I don't think that's a good thing for you in your relationship with God. And we've got to listen to people like that. They're a gift to us from God. God provides us through them another way out of our temptation. But again, we have to listen or things will get worse. If we don't deal with our sin, if we don't confront our sin, it often leads to worse sin. Verse five tells us how that happened for David. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent a message to David saying, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. Now, when David got this news, he had a decision to make. Was he going to deal with his sin? Was he going to confront it and stop this? Or was he going to hide it? And sadly, this guy that has a heart like God's decided to hide his sin. He covered it up. Didn't want to deal with it. Verse six says, then David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent, sent him to David, and when Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, hey, go on home and relax. Like, well, you, you've had a hard, hard time in the battle. Why don't you take it easy? Now, here's what David was thinking. He'll go home and have sex with his wife, and then no one will know that I had done that. No one will know that except me and God and Bathsheba and my servants, but no one else will know. They'll just think if she's pregnant, well, that's Uriah's kid, but didn't go so well. Verse nine says, Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. 
When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And Uriah replied, get this reply. Hear the conviction that this guy lives with. He said, the ark, that's what we studied last week. So the the Levites would take the ark out into battle because that was God's presence. And they would say, God is leading us into battle. So they'd have the ark with them as they fought against their enemies. So the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear, I would never do such a thing. Now, here provides David's second out. When he hears Uriah's deep conviction, David could have gone, what am I thinking? Like, this is one of my warriors, and he's living with incredible conviction. He won't even go home to be with his wife. He would rather sleep at the entrance to my palace to protect me. That should have woken him up, but it didn't. So David came up with another plan. So he invited Uriah to dinner, and he got him drunk. And so he's thinking, well, surely, if he's drunk, what's he going to do? He's going to go home, and he's going to spend time with his wife. But what did Uriah do? He slept at the entrance of the palace again that night. Even drunkenness could not sway his deep conviction of the right thing to do. And that should have spoken volumes to David because that's how David used to live. That's the life that David grew up with. He knew exactly the right thing to do and he had such strong conviction that he would do it regardless of any of the consequences. He said, I'm gonna do the right thing. And so that should have woken David up again. But he had drifted from that strong conviction. He drifted from that passion for serving God the way that he had been serving God. A guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a German pastor who stood against the Nazis in World War II, and he paid for that with his life. Um, Before his early death, he wrote several books, and uh, he, he wrote this in a book simply called Temptation. Listen to what he says about us battling temptation. He said, when we give in to whatever thing that we're tempted by, at that moment, God is quite unreal to us. In that moment, we're not filled with hatred of God, but rather with a forgetfulness of him. That is what was happening for David. In that moment, David didn't hate God, but he'd kind of drifted from God being in the center of his life. He'd kind of grown this forgetfulness of him. And the same thing can happen for us when we give in to temptation. We don't hate God. He's just not all that close. He's just not all that relevant in in that moment. He's just not all that right here and in in the near and in the now for us. We just kind of forget where he's at and forget what he wants us to do. And if we don't confront our sin, we will take even more steps away from God in our forgetfulness of him. And that's what David did. He came up with another plan that led him to do something that I'm sure he never thought that he would ever do. This time he wrote a letter to his commander in charge of the battle and he asked Uriah to carry it to him. And here's what the letter said. It said, station Uriah in the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. Can you imagine? This is the guy who's supposedly a man after God's own heart. He's writing orders, abusing his power to have one of his own faithful warriors 
killed in battle so he can cover up his sin. David's orders were carried out. And now not only is he guilty of adultery, he's guilty of murder. He's murdered a trusted warrior. After Bathsheba mourned the loss of her husband, uh, she was deeply grieved, went into a, a mourning process. And after that, Uh, David did what seemed to be, maybe on the outside, seemed to be a a good thing. Uh, He he married her, and he took her into his home. And in that context, people probably thought, wow, look at David, how great is he? I mean, you know, his servant uh, Uriah died, and so to take care of his family, he's married his wife so that she'll have a a home and and she'll be able to have children. I mean, wow, what what a stellar guy. What a great thing he's done. But David knew that wasn't the case. Bathsheba knew that wasn't the case. David's servants knew that wasn't the case. Joab, his commander, knew that wasn't the case. And God obviously knew that wasn't the case. You know, the funny thing about covering up sin is sometimes we think we're, we're getting away with it, like nobody else knows. And the interesting thing is that many more people usually find out than we would like to have found out. And, and shortly after this, if you read uh, on in this story, you find out that all of Israel is about to find out what David had done. And they would know what was going on in the heart of their king in this moment. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, tells us that the Lord was displeased with what David had done. God was so displeased with David. He said, it's time. I've got to confront him. I've got to confront this guy. I said, this is a man after my own heart. I've got to confront him because right now his heart isn't beating in sync with mine. So God chose a man named Nathan to go and confront David. Nathan was a prophet of the time. And so imagine with me, if you're the person that God taps on the shoulder and says, I want you to go confront the most powerful leader in the world, the person who's just killed a servant to cover up his sin, I want you to go. I'm thinking, send somebody else. Like, I don't want to go do that. But Nathan did. He courageously did. He went and he confronted King David and he did it in a very interesting way. He told David a story, a story of two men, of a a rich man and a poor man. And the story basically goes like this. He said, all right, David, there's, there's two guys. There's a real rich guy. He's got all kinds of sheep. And then there's this one poor guy, and he has one little lamb. And it's not, not just a little lamb. I mean, this little lamb is like a family pet. I mean, he feeds it from its own table, from his hand. You know, this is like one of his kids. I mean, he loves this little lamb, takes care of this little lamb. Well, the rich guy has a guest come by and visit one time, and he decides he's going to feed him for dinner. He says, well, I don't want to kill all of my, any of my sheep. I've got a lot, but I don't want to take any from, from my stock. So I'm going to take the poor man's sheep. So uh, Nathan says the rich guy took the poor man's sheep, stole it, killed it, and prepared it as a meal for his guest. End of story. David had been intently listening to this story so closely, and I think he thought this is a real thing, that this had really happened in in his uh, society there. So David got furious. Uh, Verse 5 and 6 of 2 Samuel 12 says, He said this, as surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Isn't David's response very interesting? You know, he was 
so furious, so angry, so hypocritical, he didn't even understand that the story was about him. Like that was his story that was being told to him and probably in his court with his servants standing around. You know, the same thing can happen to us. You know, we can get so fired up over somebody else's sin. We put, stand on our soapbox and you know, ready to tell the world like they're doing wrong. And then when somebody points the light on us, like we don't even see it. We overlook our own sin because we're mad at somebody else's sin. Well, David had no clue that this story was about him. So Nathan had to get brutally honest. In verse seven, Nathan said, David, you are that man. You're the man that had an abundance and took from another man. Here's, here's what you may not know about David. At the time, uh, before he married Bathsheba, David had seven wives that we're aware of. And he had um, at least 10 concubines. Uh, so he, there's a good chance he had more concubines than that, but at least 10. Now, guys, if you're curious, like how many wives should you have? If, like if you've you know, woke up wondering that, one is, is a great number, okay? Like if you want to live a happy, healthy life, one is all that you need. Any more than that and life gets complicated, okay? And if you want to know like how many concubines should I have? If you would like to have one wife in your life, uh, none would be a great choice. So again, just letting you know, um, one wife is all that you need. So, Dave, so Nathan is saying to David, David, like you've way overstepped your bounds. You have more than enough. You've way overstepped your bounds here. You're the one who stole from another man. You're the one who, who murdered an innocent man. David, you are that man. Imagine how awkward of a moment that would have been. Everybody's standing around wondering, what's going to happen next? The servants are probably thinking, is David going to kill him? Like to hide what he He's already killed somebody else. Why wouldn't he kill Nathan? In this moment, why wouldn't he order for him to be sentenced to death for accusing the king of some horrible thing? Or was David going to stop and admit his sin to Nathan before his servants and before his God? So David had another decision to make. And gratefully, in verse 13, he finally made a right decision in this whole line of wrong decisions. In verse 13, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. So he stopped running from his sin. He stopped trying to hide it. He stopped and he just confessed his sin before his servants, before Nathan, before his God. And uh, David wrote about this in Psalms 51. You know, that verse there in verse 13 doesn't give us like the full picture of what David, David was feeling. So in Psalms 51, we see a better picture of David's heart in this moment. And here are the depths of his confession, Okay. Verse one says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you and you alone. Have I sinned? For I have done what is evil in your sight, and you will be proved right in what you say in your judgment against me is just. So David didn't run from his sin anymore. David, uh, he didn't give a slight acknowledgement of his sin. He didn't go, well, yeah, like maybe I did a couple of those things. 
David didn't pass the blame on to Bathsheba. And he didn't say, you know, if, if she wouldn't have been taking a bath where I could see her, this never would have happened. No, David stopped. He stopped trying to hide his sin. He took responsibility for it. He confessed it openly to God. And the really cool thing is that God forgave him. God forgave David for adultery and murder. Now, were there some consequences that David would face because of those decisions? Yes, and we'll look at that next week. But, but what I want us to hear today and what I want us to understand is that God forgave David. You know, there are moments that people um, look in the Old Testament and they say, you know what, I look in the Old Testament, I just don't see God's love there. I don't see God's grace there. I see that in the New Testament. But, you know, God of the Old Testament, he's just a hateful guy. That's not true. There's grace all throughout the Old Testament. Here's an example of God's incredible grace. David should have been killed for this. But God said, I forgive you. You will not die. God's grace is found all throughout the Old Testament. It's found here in this moment. And David understood that. David understood how big of a deal this was to receive God's grace and his forgiveness. And so in Psalms 32, David wrote this. He said, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And finally... I confessed all my sin to you and stopped hiding from my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. David confessed his sin. He found forgiveness. He felt the burden of his guilt leave him. And the same thing can happen with us. God will forgive us. When we come to him and we say, listen, I blew it. I blew it. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that again or again or again. I blew it. Like, God, I'm sorry. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your forgiveness. But Lord, I'm I'm sorry for what I've done. When we come to God like that, God will forgive us. Doesn't matter what we've done. God forgave David for adultery and murder. I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know what what sins that we all wrestle with. Maybe adultery is something that you've uh, wrestled with in your life. Maybe murder. I don't don't know. It doesn't really matter because whatever you've done, you can be forgiven for. When we come to God and say, God, I blew it. I've messed up. Will you please forgive me? I acknowledge my sin. I'm not going to run from it anymore. I'm going to deal with it the way that you want me to deal with it. We can be forgiven. Listen to 1 John 1, 9 powerful verse. If you don't know this one, this would be a great one to memorize. It says this, if we confess our sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's an amazing promise from God. So every time we sin, if we come to God and say, God, I blew it. I'm deeply sorry. Not just like a slight acknowledgement, like, yeah, 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 here, you know, here's your quarter. Give me my forgiveness. That's not what David did. When we come to God and say, God, again, I'm so sorry. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm so sorry that I've done this. And God will forgive us and he'll make us clean. Now, in closing, let me just ask a few questions of you. Do you have anything 
that you've been carrying in your life that you need to confess to God? Is there anything that you've been trying to hide? Is there anything that's just been kind of eating away at you, the way that David's sin ate away at him? If so, you have a decision to make today. You can keep trying to hide that sin. You can keep trying to manage the guilt that you feel. You can refuse to deal with it and let that sin lead to another sin, maybe even a worse sin. Or you can confess that sin to God and allow him to remove the guilt of it from your life. I think today would be a great day for you to confess your sin. I think today would be a great day for us to say to God in those moments, like, I've blown it. If you've blown it, if you know what that is, something that you haven't confessed to God, I think today would be a great day to just pause and say, God, let me acknowledge this thing. Let me stop hiding it. Let me bring it out in the light of your truth and let me deal with it. You know, you could walk out of here different today. You could walk out of here lighter than when you came in. You could walk out of here forgiven, like truly forgiven. Receive God's grace and forgiveness. So in just a moment, our worship team's gonna come out and they're gonna guide us through a closing song called Come As You Are. A great song. Um, It's got some great elements in it. And the reality is God says, come as you are. He doesn't say, hey, go, go clean up yourself. Go fix your life and then come to me. God says, just come to me and then I'll help you clean up your life. So while our worship team is playing this morning, I encourage you, if you need to, to have a conversation with God. Just talk to him about that that thing that's been on your heart, that thing that's hurt you in your relationship with him or maybe with someone else. Be open about it. Be honest about it. Ask for forgiveness and receive God's forgiveness this morning. So let's pray together. God, we've all sinned. We've all hurt our relationship with you. We've all made choices like David that have hurt us, that have hurt other people around us. And God, there are some of us here today that we just feel the weight of that sin. It's just been crushing. It's been a heavy weight that we've carried maybe for years. Or maybe somebody's carrying something for hours. And Lord, we need to, to deal with that. We, we don't want to cover it up anymore. We want forgiveness. We want to experience your grace. We want to be like David. We want to courageously admit our sin before you. So Lord, for those here today who might need to do that, I just pray that they would stop running, stop hiding, and confess their sin to you. Lord, I pray that today they would experience your grace and forgiveness in a way that they've never thought possible. I pray today they would walk out different than when they walked in this morning. Thank you for your incredible grace. Thank you for your incredible forgiveness, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. We are so glad that you're here with us today. My name is Tim Jones and I'm one of the pastors on staff and I just have a few announcements for us. Um, If you're new with us, thank you so much for being with us today and uh, we would love to get to know you a little bit. If you have questions about Epic, we would love for you to stop by the Connection Center and be able to uh, answer any of the questions that you might have or be able to pick up any information that you might want to know more about Epic. And then as you notice, as you were walking in today, we have our epic giving Christmas tree up, and there are about 300 cards on that tree representing 25 different families that are in need that you uh, help to nominate and be able to say, hey, this family could use some help during this Christmas season. And so there are various cards on the tree representing uh, gifts. Some of those gifts are uh, gift cards, some of those are clothing items, uh, some of them are wrapping paper, and some of them um, are cards there for us to be able to get. And so we provide some gift cards to some of the families so that they can choose some of the things that they need or be able to give to their children and have a choice to be able to do that. And then there are some cards on there that are for wrapping supplies so that they can be able to wrap their own gifts and be able to give those gifts uh, to their family, to their kids as well. And then a couple other things that are on the Christmas tree this year. Um, We partner with Alpha Pregnancy Center, which is a crisis pregnancy center for women. And so there's some cards on the tree for uh, diapers, for wipes, for clothing items to help out some of those mothers uh, that are going through a difficult time in their season. So some of the cards are on there as well. And then also we want to honor our police officers in our county. And so there's a couple cards on there to provide a bagel breakfast uh, that's a surprise to them this Christmas season just to be able to say, hey, thank you for what you do uh, for our county and to keep us safe. And so there's a few of those cards on there as well. What we would love for you to do is be able to grab one of those cards, go out and buy that gift, and then bring it back next week or by December 7th, so for the next two weeks. So bring the gift back with the card, put the card taped onto the gift so that we know that goes with it. Uh, Don't wrap the gift as those uh, gifts will be provided wrapping uh, supplies so that uh, people will be able to wrap those gifts. So bring them back. There will be a table next to the Christmas tree that you can bring back those gifts with those cards on that. And so let's show our families uh, that are in need uh, that we are for them. And then also let's show that our county that we are for them as well. And then uh, another way that we can give back is also, if you call Epic your home, uh, there's two ways that you can give. You can give through the giving boxes located in the back or also online. And that's another way that we can make a long-term impact into our community by continuing to do what we do each Sunday and then also what we continue to do in the community as well. Now, today we are continuing in our David series. And so we just want you to sit back and enjoy the rest of the service. <laughs> 